Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our at-home studio probably for the last time for a month. We've had a lot of 90-degree weather. And that's why summer in Chicago is hot and humid. And one of the reasons why we really like Arizona, because in Arizona in the wintertime, you can just say, we're going to do this on this day and not have to worry about the weather. Because... It's always the same. It's always the same. It's always nice. Do you want to move to Arizona? Yes. You do? But I don't want to leave here. (laughs) (laughs) I like the weather. I certainly like the weather. Then it's good you have a house here and a motorhome, I guess. I guess so. Why aren't we we going to Arizona this winter? Because we have property in Florida. Where it's also hot and humid. (laughs) Well, it's nice in Florida, but I mean... I just noticed the big difference in the weather between Chicago and Arizona because Arizona, well, and of course Arizona in the summertime is outrageously hot. But in the wintertime, we've had really good luck because you say, I want to play golf on such and such a day or I want to do a hike or bike ride or whatever you want to do outdoors. And you can just say, you can just plan on doing it. Whereas here in the last week, we've had tennis canceled a couple of times. We've had. Yeah, but before that, we were playing very regularly. Eh, well, Chicago's iffy that way. Well, I want to uh, refresh our listeners' memory that we have the calendar uh, wallpaper that they can download. And this month's is. The September one is fabulous. It's from our hometown. It's from our hometown. It's Chicago from the water. And Chicago's skyline is beautiful. And if you are questioning whether you should come to Chicago and whether it has anything to do, take a look at this picture as the wallpaper under the calendar for September, and you'll see the Chicago skyline is comparable to none. And you'll notice that it has the Ferris wheel as well as many other lit-up towers in the background. So It has a spectacular skyline, and from what we've been reading they're building six more spectacular buildings so whenever you come there'll be a lot of great architecture to see so once again we're recommending chicago as a destination for your rv trip but of course we have not been rving in the last month because we've been home starting labor day which uh, probably for you is passed by now but labor day is coming up for us and we will be hitting the road on sunday trying to avoid some of the traffic at least we will be heading to Elkhart, Indiana, where we'll have a little bit of repair done. That's why we always go to Elkhart, Indiana. And then we'll be doing some state parks. And, you know, we read about all sorts of problems that people have making reservations for campsites. In the last month, we've made two reservations for campsites, state park campsites in Ohio and Kentucky, and have had no problem getting a campsite at all. Of course, it is after Labor Day, but even so, there were quite a few sites taken, but there were some available too, and plenty big ones for a rig like ours. And certainly in September, the weather is still very fine in most parts of the country for camping. Absolutely. It's not, I mean, there are not as many families out and about because school has started, but it's still prime camping season in my book. So I don't know. We read about people who complain about not finding places to camp and wonder if because more RVs have been built that that's made the campgrounds crowded. But I wonder if they are not good at looking for campsites. Right. I would think that's part of the problem. So, and we have camped many times in the summer and still find decent places to camp. And I look at our our trip from last year, last fall, and wow, we 
we came to some fabulously spectacular places and kind of made it up as we went along. Oh, very much so. Yeah, we are. We know our kind of general route, but we don't know the exact timing. So we just kind of make reservations as we go. Now, I will admit that for the Labor Day weekend, you better make a reservation. But after that, uh, you can kind of just float around, except on the weekends. I noticed that the reservations were well, although we did get a reservation in Kentucky for the for the weekend weekend after Labor Day without any real trouble at all. So get out there and camp. As I look at the uh, topics we're contemplating talking about today, it doesn't surprise me at all that a number of them have to do with storing stuff in your RV <laughs> because we have been oh. very busy storing stuff in our RV. Oh, indeed. We have kind of a complicated travel plan ahead, which will yes. gradually unfold for you if you continue to listen to oh, us. Oh, the drama, the drama. Where are we going? Well, we first of all, we're going to hot and humid, so we're bringing oh. hot and humid clothes. Then we are... And that is in... All the way to Florida. All the way to Florida. And then we're going to fly to Portugal to take a small cruise ship, so we need some slightly more sophisticated European clothes. Me? Sophisticated? Heavens! And then we're getting on a much bigger cruise ship to sail back to Florida, so we need some la-di-da cruise clothes. And when we go to the Great Outdoors, where we will be leaving our motorhome during that time, uh, we will be camping for the first time on the new lot that we purchased that has a small building on it. And we are also bringing stuff from home to help equip it. It When we bought it, it came with all the major furniture you would need, but uh, they cleaned out the kitchen and the bathroom, and so we need sheets and towels and dishes. And does your motorhome have enough space for all this stuff and all your fun stuff? Goodies. Not quite. Big motorhomes are nice that way because they have lots of storage. And a diesel pusher in particular has pass-through storage uh, in abundance because it has no drive shaft that goes down the middle of it. If you have a front-engine motorhome, then you have a tunnel that takes the drive shaft. And so if you look at lots of gasser motorhomes, when they put out the slides, there is a compartment at the bottom of the slide that doesn't go through. That's just a compartment that has a door on it. It looks like a diesel pusher's compartments, but it's not, and it's not nearly as big. So having a diesel pusher with pass-throughs and with slide-out trays, which we have, uh, makes it so that you can actually take quite a lot of stuff. So we have three suitcases inside. We have our golf clubs. We have tennis. Plus, I've got all sorts of and my coat, and, and my coat and mittens for when we come back home again for the holidays. Oh, it's really hard to think about that on well, days when it's ninety. You'll be glad <laughs> when you have, when you have it. We're sitting here and the air conditioner is pumping out the cold air, and we're saying, "Wow, this is one of the hottest days of the year," and here we are near the end of August, just the last couple of days. So storage is important, and can you find storage in a travel trailer? Much less storage. Fifth wheels have some storage because they usually have a large compartment in the front that's a pass-through, but it's not nearly as big as a motorhome. Well, some of the fifth wheels I've looked at um, have enough space that you could transport some illegal aliens across the border (laughs) in. But what we found when we had our fifth wheel is that it was very easy to lose stuff in those huge compartments, and so you needed some kind of container storage system. a huge, giant tall compartment to store stuff is really bad news because you lose stuff. Even though it looks like a wonderful idea. Yeah. 
And then you're not going to put things like bikes or anything in it because – Well, you could. Well, yes, but even there, probably the doors are not big enough for that to, to get something really big in. So uh, when you're looking at your motorhome, when you're looking at shopping for a new RV, be sure to look at the storage because you always need a place for lots of things, especially and, if you're full-time. And the other thing that always happens to me after we've been home for a few months is I get used to having all this stuff. And I look at it all and I think, oh, I might need this, I might need that. But strangely enough, once you're in an RV and you're traveling down the road and you're thinking about what you're going to be seeing and doing, you find that you really need a lot more stuff than you thought. You need a lot less stuff than you thought. That was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? And two, I try to reassure myself that many things that if I forget them, you can probably buy them wherever you are. Really? You can buy stuff? Except when I forgot to bring my extra contact lenses. That was that was a bad mistake. <laughs> and your mistake. wedding ring, for God's sake. Yeah. She forgets her wedding ring on yeah. a trip. How could that possibly be? But we live through it, ladies and gentlemen. We are tough. We can live without these essentials. As she mentioned, we're going to be going on a, a couple of cruises. Actually, three coming uh, upcoming. And this uh, brings us to over. 90 cruises, and you're reeling back and saying, the Wisemans have done 90 cruises. That's because we're so old. That's it, exactly. We started in 1973. But if you're young and you're thinking about doing a cruise because we are inspiring you to do the travel thing, then you might want to start with a short three-day cruise. Where do you go in three days? The Bahamas. The Bahamas. That's how we started. We started on a ship called the Flavia. Which no longer exists. Of course. It's been scrapped many, many, many years ago. But we are at... We are doing these two cruises, as she mentioned, but then we were looking to see what we could do afterwards, and there was a nice three-dayer from Miami, which is where we land uh, on our transatlantic cruise. Uh, So the same day that our ship arrives from overseas, we are going to walk a a block or so, shoveling our suitcases, I guess. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But uh, taking our stuff over to a second ship where we will get on for a three-day Bahamas cruise. And it's a weekend, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday cruise. Leaves on Friday and comes back on Monday, I think. A weekend, yeah. So So it's it's a three-nighter. I'm sure our fellow passengers will change dramatically from... right. Well-traveled old farts like us to lots of families. And these ships are reasonably priced. We're sailing on the Mariner of the Seas. And the Mariner has just had a huge uh, renovation and upgrade so that it's very modern. And it's a big ship if you're looking to to try a, a larger ship. Very reasonably priced and a huge variety of different uh, accommodations, uh, types of cabins that you can book. And it's just one example of the many ships that sail short cruises out of Miami. So if you're thinking about uh, a little winter break um, and you just have a short period of time, you might want to consider one of these cruises. And one of the nice things that it does is it goes to a place called Coco Cay. Coco Cay is owned by Royal Caribbean and it's a beach stop. And so it's a very nice beach stop that you can just go and relax. And frankly, going to Nassau, the other place that it goes, is also a pretty nice relaxing place. So if you're looking kind of for a relaxing time, and because cruises are all-inclusive and there's no uh, extra stuff to to worry about, you can just go and, and relax and have, have a good time. They make three- and four-day cruises out of Miami. Uh, a four-dayer will go from Monday to Friday, and it will add, in addition to Coco Cay and Nassau, it will usually add Freeport. 
another t- uh, city in the Bahamas that you can sail to. The sailing days are not long, so you're not likely to have any bad weather or bad seas because the distances are short. Because we're only talking less than 100 miles per segment of the cruise. So uh, how do you feel about that? Well, that's what got us hooked, isn't it? <laughs> and so 90 cruises later, we're saying that's what started it. So if you're looking to get started and you're only in your 20s and 30s, this is the way to do it. So we've had lots of emails this month. One of our email queries was about what are we doing for digital cameras? Of course, digital is all you use these days. Well, we're not relying on just our cell phones. As convenient as they are, when we are taking pictures that we care about, yes, where we really want to show a place to its best advantage and have the picture look more like what we thought we were seeing when we were there, <laughs> yes. carrying a separate camera is definitely the way to go. And I'm really thankful that good cameras that have a multitude of features are getting smaller and lighter all the time. So lazy people like me can carry a camera along with the cell phone and not feel burdened by it. And these new cameras the, take very nice pictures. Cell phones take very nice pictures in uh, very ordinary situations where it's bright and sunny and th- no complications in terms of taking the picture. But as soon as you get into situations where you need um, a more sophisticated camera, these cell phone pretty much craps out as far as I'm concerned. I take a few cell phone pictures, but 99% of the pictures that I take are taken with uh, one of my pocket cameras. And we have now, in the last uh, eight or nine months, we've completely upgraded our pocket camera system. So the cameras that we have are available now, if you care to purchase one. And they are recommended by your RV navigators. Although mine came with a 300-page manual, which took me... <laughs> you've been working through. The whole summer to plow my way through. It, it's a lot... The camera's a lot smarter than I am. That's well, that's clear. cool, though. You can just sit on an automatic and it'll do its thing. Uh-huh. Which is which is the way. But you it's it nice to know all the things it can do. If I can only figure out how to duplicate them again. So Martha has the Lumix DC TZ. No, I have a Panasonic. Lumix Panasonic. Oh. DC TZ two hundred, and the advantage of this camera is that it has a big sensor. A that's, big. Oh, that's what my old camera very didn't good, have. Very good. She got it right. It has a big sensor. And you like the fact that it has a big lens. Right. Very zoomy. <laughs> can, you, can you be more specific there? Well, I can go from a wide angle to a zoom shot just by pushing a button. Okay. It has a 360 millimeter equivalent zoom lens. And it has better steadying when I'm all the way out. Sometimes I had a hard time shooting things that were far away because I would wiggle a little mm-hmm. bit or and, it would pixelate a little and bit. And prior to this, she had a, a Sony, which was a nice little camera, but we certainly noticed it had problems when we had long zoom or in low light situations. The advantages of a one inch sensor, which is five or six times bigger than the normal camera sensor, certainly the one in your cell phone and in most other little cameras, is that it has the capability, well, <laughs> the quality of the pictures is, ne- is naturally better, but it has low light capabilities which are inherent because the pixels are bigger. Now, think about this. You have a, a one-inch diagonal sensor versus a, a one-third-inch diagonal sensor, and they both have 20 megapixels, and that's the way most people buy them. They say, oh, it's a 20 megapixel, so that's, that's what I want. But when those pixels are teeny tiny, they can't gather light. 
as well as a sensor that's bigger. So the bigger the sensor you have, each pixel has more light gathering capabilities. Therefore, it's more sensitive in low light situations. So you always want to have the biggest sensor. Now, the problem with having a bigger sensor is, is that the equivalent lenses are heavier and bigger. So the camera itself must be somewhat larger and probably won't have the zoom range. But my new camera is in the same case that my old camera was. Really? Yes. I didn't in the same to... case as the Sony? Yes. I didn't have to change a thing. Huh. That's really interesting. That's So they've gotten the one-inch sensor, but it doesn't have the 720-millimeter lens that the old one did. Yeah, but I could never really zoom all I the know. way well, that's And that's the so... big problem is, is that zooming is a serious problem. So it sounds like a good thing, but this new one, I've noticed a quality difference in your pictures just in going through them myself. Besides my great skill? Well, your skill is obvious, but it's can't, if the camera can't capitalize on it, then what's then you you have a problem, right? I did have a problem. So that's why we took the camera, which was in fine shape, the old one, but we bought a new one because it has the one sensor, and you also like the fact that it has HDR capability. Oh, okay, that is, <laughs> and you like the new one because it has. I oh, said I said what I was going to say. <laughs> I can't read your mind. It, because it has the electronic viewfinder, which you also consider to be essential. Didn't my old one have that? Yeah, but I mean, that's that's oh, another right. feature which people want to look well, at. Well, that's, that's why a, I wasn't saying a, it, because I already had it. And it has a built-in flash, and it's small and compact. You can carry it around with you. Easy. It has a nice display on the back. So, Ken. Sold. Why didn't you buy the same camera for when you replaced yours? Because yours costs four times as much as no. mine and does even more great stuff. No, I recently, uh, this month, bought the new Sony RX100 version 6. I've had the earlier RX100s, but the new one has something I've lusted after, and that's the long zoom lens. So it now has a 200... Are you as zoomy as I am? No. Oh, good. There are some trade-offs we have to make. But once again, my Sony has built-in viewfinder the EVF, and it has a 200 millimeter, 24 to 200 millimeter lens, but the lens is somewhat slower than the old ones. And slower means that it has less light gathering capability even at its widest aperture. So mine has a is a 2.8, which is decent, but still um, not as fast as the old. You want as fast a lens, in other words, the lowest number, 1.8 was the old one. This one is 2.8, so it is slower, less light gathering capability. So I need... Uh, a faster sensor in order to take the same pictures that I was taking before. But I consider having the the electronic viewfinder and the zoom lens to be uh, nice capabilities and something that I've wanted to have because the old one only went from 24 to 70 millimeter and 70 just... Not enough. Not enough. Now this camera is also pocketable and I think that it is actually slightly smaller than yours. <gasps> Uh-oh. <laughs> Oh, we should have them. I don't have them right here in front Mine's of us. Mine's in the motorhome. I already packed it. Already, already packed it. Well, uh, I think the Sony is slightly smaller. The Sony has an articulated viewfinder. Ooh. She's mm -hmm. looking puzzled. So that I can set the camera on the ground and take the viewfinder and flip it up. Yeah, mine doesn't have that. So that I can see it. Yeah. And I can take selfies with it because I can hold it up and... I don't like selfies. A lot of people do. So yes, you can take the viewfinder and flip do. it up so you can see what you're, what the camera's seeing. Who wants uh, to see a picture of me? I want to see a picture of where I am. Well, 
Well, you see both. Nah. Yeah. Well, we take a, a, a few selfies. So those two cameras are very nice, and they are very pocketable, which is nice. Both are currently available, and uh, we can highly recommend them, I think. Both have one-inch sensors. I think they both have the same sensors. Uh, great focusing systems. Great video, of course, on both of them. We don't take much video, but uh, they both do excellent video. And mine, now, and mine has a touch screen, which I never had before. I don't know if I'm going to like a, that or not. Yeah, yours, I like your touch screen. My touch screen is not nearly as good as yours. <laughs> My touch screen can only be used for focusing and things like that. Uh-huh. It I'm can't still, be used for changing the menus. I'm still learning on mine. Because there are a lot of menus that you oh. want to do. But we can always just take it and put it on automatic and it'll work fine. But then I feel like a brain dead person. Yes. We've taken uh, over 15,000 pictures so far this year. Wow. So we do take quite a few pictures, and a lot of those are because we do HDRs. But and now you're going to be shooting HDRs too, so yeah. I assume. Yeah. Anyway, now this leaves one category out, and that's the tough camera because you need a camera that goes underwater that you can take out in the rain. And the best reviews are the one that I have, and that's the Olympus TG5. It's been a great little camera, and it actually takes very nice pictures. But, of course, it has the small sensor because the camera itself is quite small. And it's not zoomy. And it's not zoomy at all, but it is totally waterproof. You can take it uh, just without any housing or anything. You just can jump right in the water. Of course, that makes it uh, weatherproof. You can stomp on it. And because it's nice and small, I can really put it in my pocket for any time use. You took some spectacular pictures on the Great Barrier Reef underwater. Uh, and great video, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was really surprised uh-huh. at that. Really and, nice. and the camera, uh, the, the microphone is on, but it goes, even though I'm not using a, any snorkel or, or anything, it, it sounds, like I'm, uh, sounds like I'm underwater. Well, you um, were underwater. I know, but I mean, you don't expect the microphone to pick up the, I don't know what's picking air up. Air bubbles? I guess so. It wasn't my Wa- air bubbles. Waves maybe something anyway but it makes it has interesting video it is a as i said a small sensor it's a 12 megapixel sensor which i consider to be an advantage because the pixels are bigger because it's not 20 megapixel so it has better low light capability it has an f2 lens which i consider to be good and so it's it's good at at low light but it doesn't compare to the one inch so we use it when we can something i also like about it is the fact that it has the gps built in because i like to geotag my pictures which means i know where they're taken Exactly, but with the other two cameras, I have to do that externally. I just know where I took them. Well, you don't know exactly where you took them. I don't need to know exactly where I took them. Well, we need the GPS coordinates, the time. That's really a battery sucker. Well, that's what's interesting. The the new Olympus doesn't seem to really suck the battery that way. Mm. And it tells you the direction you're pointed. It tells you your altitude. I don't care. It tells you the weather forecast. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) So um, if you have more questions about cameras, obviously I could go on for hours more. Yes, you could. uh, We're going to go on to another controversial topic. What, credit cards? Credit cards. Oh, yes, that is next. It's hard to believe, but when I think back to our youngest (laughs) days, we paid for everything in cash. And I remember when Ken applied for his first gas station credit card. Uh And we were just so thrilled to get it because then we didn't always have to have cash or trailer's checks to pay for things. Even in the United States. I mean, we would go out west and you had to have all your money with you. 
and in you our take it with you in beforehand. our line of work, we would get paid for the summer after we had already left for the summer, which caused us many problems. And these days, you had it, to find somebody to take a check. I don't remember the last time I wrote a check or held a dollar bill in my hand, because you do everything with plastic. It's amazing how things have changed. And I read For the in, better. in Scandinavia, Sweden is trying to discourage people from having cash yeah, at cash. all. Yeah, the cash in my wallet just kind of sits there. I carry around a few dollars, but I never have to use it. And, I mean, I never thought I would be charging $10 worth of stuff. But now we just charge it automatically, and, and it seems to work out fine. And it seems like retailers don't mind. It's not a hassle for and, them as it used to be. And I think the issue is that we now are actually shopping around for credit cards that offer us advantages because we have taken several flights as a result of mileage accumulation on a credit card. And I don't know how they compare in terms of value, but we have friends who choose credit cards based on money back, which oh, is yeah. a very positive benefit sure. as well. So it's very clear that you should pay attention to the kinds of gifts, shall I say, that come with your credit card and use it accordingly. But of course, the bottom line always is that you have to pay your bill at the end of every month or... They are not free gifts. Right. And that's something we have been able to do for quite a while. Um, no balances on the credit cards. So we can pick and choose which credit cards we want. And I never really thought that I would have a, ch a credit card that cost me big bucks. Because you... But this month, we switched credit cards and we got a Chase Reserve Travel Credit Card. And this credit card alone costs four hundred fifty dollars a year. Wow! And I'm, <laughs> I never, I never really thought about having a credit card that was so uh, expensive. But it offers some real benefits that we are hopefully going to be able to take advantage of. And the first thing we charged on it, we got three hundred dollars back anyway. Okay, so for travel, one of, one of the things that right, the first thing this is a travel credit card. Its primary purpose would be to have benef its benefits are for travel. And one of the things that it does is, is that the first time you charge a travel event, it gives you $300 back. Of that 450 So that makes it much more reasonable. But even so, 150 bucks is still a lot and another 75 for you. So that's uh, something we have to re be able to recoup. But one of the things that it does is is that it gives us three miles for, for every, every dollar, dollar that, that we, we spend on travel. On travel, and that's and travel is fairly loosely defined, and that's hotels, uh, restaurants, cruises, anything like that. So we have charged uh, a couple of cruises uh, here recently, and we've gotten over 50,000 miles in three to one points. And it includes things like the fee for the global entry pass, which, which is also worth car. having. You get automatic car insurance when you charge automatic a, primary car a rental car on with that card when you book it. Most of the time when you have a credit card that has car insurance included, it's covers after your personal insurance has covered, which means that you might get an increase in the rate. This covers instead of your your personal uh, otherwise insurance. And it includes trip cancellation insurance. And that's one of the things that we've also been looking at. There are 
a lot of fees when you sign up for tours and, and travel experiences. Do you get the, and that they always offer you this, do you get the travel insurance? Even with some of our favorite travel do, organizations, we almost have to do a cartwheel to get them to take it off the invoice because they so strongly urge you to do and, it. And the last booking we made to Antarctica, the guy was looking at our birthdays and he's, are you guys sure you're healthy enough and fit enough to do this? And so they very much push the insurance to go on a trip. It's even very in, expensive. Two grand. Yeah. You know, a grand each. And this credit card incorporates much of those trip delay, trip cancellation, as long as you charge them on the card, which is, of course, a, a primary consideration for them. As long as you charge it on the card, it will be covered under their insurance. And this includes medical insurance, uh, trip evac insurance. This includes trip cancellation, trip delay, so we're thinking this saves us uh, on a yearly basis several thousand dollars that we would we've never gotten the insurance but it would save us. Well, we are getting older. Yes. Something is going to happen and, and we'll be glad to have the insurance. But we've been crossing our fingers so far we just we, haven't we've had away with it. we haven't had the insurance. I mean, we have medical insurance of course, but uh in terms of getting these Trip cancellation, trip delay, and all. It gives you peace of mind. If and and else. luggage lost, luggage insurance, and and access to all the lounges in the airport. Well, that's another nice thing. Is is that we have? Is this a commercial? Well, no, because I think that American Express, Citibank, and Chase all offer similar cards. Oh. Um, so which one you get? Of course, we got the best one. <laughs> And when you sign up first, you get 50,000 miles uh, sign-up bonus. Oh, and by the way, if anybody wants to sign up, please let us invite you so that we get the 10,000 miles that they offer right. us for referring you. Fee. So if this advertisement goes well, <laughs> but we're not commercial. This is from the heart. Yes. This as, comes. As we, we did this, and, and this is uh, just us speaking, but... This card has a lot of benefits. And you know that when you get um, 60,000 miles or so, you get a free flight in the United States, or probably less, even 25, depending on, on what you want to do. But we were talking about the lounges, and we have flown a few times now on business because we've been able to upgrade using our miles that we have, which is really a benefit. And so you kind of become attached to the airport lounges because you don't have to wait around in those hot, smelly places where you can't find they have a seat. wonderful food, they don't have food and drinks and great Wi-Fi. Right. I forget where we were going. Ken said, I was trying to get on the plane. I said, I didn't want to leave yet because it was so nice. <laughs> well, the nice. lounges are really nice. So nice. The, and we've showered in some of them. You don't get that unless you're flying business class or you have some sort of elite status with the airline. Or this car. Neither of which we have many times. And so uh, upcoming we will be flying and we will be using the lounge access that's included with our credit card. They have similar lounges. Uh, this usually costs you several hundred dollars a year to buy a lounge pass, but this is included with the credit card. So we feel that this has been, uh, well, it will be, <laughs> we just got the card, but it will be a, a big advantage as we travel down the road in the future. And maybe you would too. So let us know what you think. Well, should we delve into another hot topic? What is it? Diesel versus gas. 
You know, the people that I know that don't pay much attention to RVs think it's kind of a no-brainer because generally gas costs less than diesel. Oh, that's not well, always that, the case. Not well, and, and not so even. they are just looking at how many gallons of gas am I going to have to buy versus yeah. how many gallons of diesel am I going to have to buy, and they don't understand all the tricky details involved yes. in making this a very important decision. For every RVer. Whether you're buying a Class B or you're buying a C or you're buying a, tr- a tow truck, a tr- truck that will do the, t- the towing, or you're buying a Class A, everybody has to make the decision whether it is gas or diesel. Diesel engines always cost more money, and not just a little bit, but a lot. So many people say, well, I'm not going to travel very far, so I'm not going to get a diesel. Um, I think one of the... I don't know. I get. I don't want to really get into the debate. I found a very nice article in this month's Trailer Life magazine called Diesel versus Gas. The guy who wrote this article, Chris Hemmer, has done a very nice job of laying it out. He's, to me, in a very impartial way. So I'm PDF this article if you'd like to see it. If you'd like to read it before or during your purchasing decisions, please download it and take a look at it yourself. Just the fact. It's very nicely worded. And he's not hes not being – when you read the posts and people, they just go well, like I'm about to do. <laughs> they go off on a rant and they start to talk about uh, things that are that they don't know anything about. So I'm going to have a rant where I don't know any. I talk about some things I have no idea. I've always been a gas person, but we've owned two uh, pickup trucks and two RVs, uh, Class A's that have had diesel. So that was my diesel experience. Of course, before that, all of our cars have always been gas. But I have come to love the new diesel engines. They are very, very usable, and they don't smoke, they don't smell, they use a little bit of DEF, which if you've followed our podcast for a long time, you know that I hated going to DEF. But now that I use DEF, diesel exhaust fluid, which is a separate tank that you have to have and that you have to put in with your diesel engine, uh, it, that it uh, has not really caused me any issues. Diesels get about 30% better gas mileage. And one of the things that I've learned recently is is that the harder you work them, the better the gas mileage. So that if you have a big trailer that you're towing or a big motorhome, the harder it works, the better the the bigger the advantage of getting a diesel is. Now, in terms of the price, I want to just kind of quote this. I'm going to read you this short paragraph because I think this is telling. The extra $9,000 approximately. Wow. Yeah, for, that, this is for on a pickup truck you would be spending on a diesel engine will buy you 3,176 gallons of gasoline at $2.83 per gallon, the average price at the time of this press, at the time of this article. Assuming both vehicles get 20 miles running solo, the break-even point on investment would be 63,520 miles. However, manufacturers that we spoke with claim that a heavy-duty diesel can be return can return up to twice the fuel economy when pulling heavy-loaded heavy-loaded trailers, putting the break-even point at around 32,000 miles from from a standpoint of fuel savings only. 
So I think if you do much towing or plan to keep your vehicle very long, that the diesel will indeed pay for itself. Not only that, but it is a much better engine for towing. Now, you have to think about this. Uh, most of us don't have much experience with diesels. So diesels is kind of a foreign world, and we don't understand how it works, and it seems hard. Uh, and you hear about uh, the repair costs and the general maintenance. But, yes, it costs us $350 to have a, a an oil change. But there are several filters that have to be changed. It takes seven gallons of oil, but because it has so much oil in it, it is in there for the long term. We have we will have gone a year and a half without having an oil change, and we will have gone twenty thousand miles without having an oil change, and that's when you compare that to what you would pay for on a, a gas engine, it probably is very comparable. In terms of problems with it, we just haven't had any problems with it with either one of ours really, and that so it has a lot of drivability. The other thing that you want to consider with a diesel is its capabilities to stop your vehicle. And going downhill, there is nothing like having the engine brake on and knowing that you have the full power of your service brakes at any time and they're not getting hot because the engine's keeping you going at 45 miles an hour going downhill. It was going 45 miles, miles an hour going uphill. So the diesel engine just has that capability to slow you down and to keep you going at the at a speed which is safe. And that's something you just don't get with a gas engine. A gas engine, of course, is much more complex because the diesel doesn't have the ignition system. The diesel engine runs at a much slower speed. And of course, when we take a look at over-the-road vehicles that uh, truckers and people drive, they're all diesel. And so they must be cost-effective, both from maintenance as well as from the daily cost of, of diesel to fuel it up. So if they are happy with it, why shouldn't uh, uh, the typical RV be happy with it, too? Oh, am I ranting too much? Here? Yes, you are. This was supposed to be even-handed. No, I said the article's even-handed. Oh. <laughs> you are not. I told you this was a rant. Okay, so one more point, and then I will let let you take over with the article, and you can talk about something lighter. But uh, the other thing that's uh, that's you need to think about is repair. And we think about, oh, well, I know how to repair a car, and I know how to repair a gas engine. But you have to understand, as we have found, that there are many more diesel repair places than there are gas repair places because trucks are on the road all the time, and that every truck stop has diesel repair. Every truck stop has the, the things to fix your tires. It has all the things you need to fix uh, a diesel engine, but they may not have the gas because they don't get any cars in there. And there are mobile techs, as we have mentioned, that have come to fix our vehicles. And they are on the road keeping these trucks going, which is something that you just don't find for the gas side. <laughs> okay, she's giving me the, the cutoff signal. Take a look at the article. Obviously, engines are important, but my mind goes blank after a while, and I'd rather think about decor. Decor, okay. And, and when we um, have bought our <laughs> RVs, they tend to come so highly decorated that it's very hard to personalize them. We'd love to put up some of our pictures. In any way, and putting things up um, on walls when they might fall down again while you're driving is problematic. But we have had our own clock in our <laughs> RV for a number of years, and we found a new, one. A, a new one that was so much fun because you could personalize it. 
And you've put a picture up already, haven't you? On the yeah, well, no. in the Google group? No, no, not yet. Oh, you didn't. No. So you you will see our newly purchased RV Navigator clock, which has is metal so and has the letters carved they into use, it. Yeah, this is very cool. With because lasers. I think so. They have it's a metal face, and it has in fairly large letters, like three inch letters. It has RV Navigator etched. Out, they've cut out the letters like, around the outside, like lace. And so you can have you can have some going around the top, and then some uh, others going around the bottom. And so you can have customized. And I only paid twenty four dollars for it because you had a Groupon. Yeah, but so yeah. I mean, even so, that that's way cool to have a customized clock that has whatever words you want to have on it. That's that's just something that's <laughs> unheard of. And so we, we thought enjoying. it was pretty cool, and we'll put a picture up so that you can see it too. Oh, I want to talk about this email from Dick. Right. Um, uh, a, a listener, we've had several emails this month, but uh, Dick says, you've talked a lot about your all-electric coach, but not about the specifics of the high-draw items, water heating and cooking. I'm looking for ways to boondock without propane, but I haven't found much in 12-volt appliances. Are you able to run those on 12-volt, or do you have to have shore power or run the generator in your coach? And the answer is, I'm anxious to hear. We run the generator. <laughs> no. Yes, we do. Just infrequently. We don't have The refrigerator 12, doesn't run on... We don't have 12-volt appliances. Yes, and why don't we? Because we run the generator. No. Because <laughs> we have an inverter. Or a converter. Or a converter. Which do we know. have? We have them both. <laughs> I don't like electricity. <laughs> Jeez. And oh. you're not making me like it better either. <laughs> do I have to have another rant here? Um, no, his question is a good one. And you don't find many good 12-volt appliances. No, no. And part of the reason is because you don't have really – the lower the voltage, the thicker the wire has to be to carry at the same amperage. You know, and I can remember we owned a 12-volt coffee maker at one time, and then you had that coffee maker plus the one that you used when you were plugged in. And, like, you don't need duplicate stuff like that. Right. So these days, the answer to his question is that we don't have any 12-volt appliances at all. But Isn't that what I said? Yes. Okay. But – we don't run the generator much of the time because we have an inverter, and we have a 3,000-watt inverter, a 30-amp inverter, which takes care of our That's demands. That's what I said. Which takes care of our demands during <sighs> – That's not exactly what you said. That takes care of the, the demands of our appliances when they are – when they need power. So we run the refrigerator, the TV – microwave all off of the inverter, but you got to have a big bank of batteries. So we have eight batteries that supply us with enough voltage, enough power, so that we can run our 120-volt appliances from the inverter. And you're happy with that? Yes, but when we seriously boondock, we also run the generator once a day once for a, day, a period yeah. of time. Yeah, but we don't run it all the time by any means. No, not and, all the time. Because the batteries and the solar... We'll keep it. And remember, the biggest issue we had was with the the refrigerator uh, because you obviously wouldn't want to have – it has to have power all, all the, time. the time. And we found that the three solar panels that we have will offset the power used by the refrigerator, so it will run an indefinite amount of time. You can count on it. Other stuff we might have to be a little bit more frugal with, but basically we live in a normal way uh, off the inverter when we need to. 
question answered? Well, I I wouldn't look at twelve volt appliances. No, that's no. just not, the inverters are cheap. Do people on boats have them? I think they have inverters too. When we first started, there were twelve volt appliances. You yeah. get coffee makers. Yeah. And, uh, we had a TV once, a little yeah, one. But yeah. I, I just don't think that that's uh, very popular. And not only that, but you know, you don't have a very big choice, and so you can't get the one you want. You might get a percolator or something. But uh, with the inductive cooking that we have, which is also quite energy efficient with the inverter that provides plenty of power. We just don't have that that issue. And we run the generator a couple of hours a day when we're using high-demand items or we need to charge the batteries. But during the day, the the solar panels will charge the batteries without really much of of an issue. So that answers his question. When we look on Facebook at the over 50 RVers group, we see many people struggling with the question of, should I be a full-timer? How do I do it? Is it worth doing it? Will I like it? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And we are linking to a very complete, very well-written, in my opinion, article, which takes you from stem through stern <laughs> through the process of downsizing and making all these critical decisions. And at the end of the article, he links to a number of people's blogs who have gone through this process themselves. So you get a lot of different people's takes on the experience and and we of course haven't done this no no we're lucky enough to have both house and an rv and we go between them and i don't want to be a full-timer no living at home is still more convenient we are leaving in september on labor day and we won't be home until may right so we are not full-timers but we certainly spend a lot of time on the road so this article uh brings up the point that we have a nice square yellow box on the web page for each episode that will give you the links that we find uh, important for this particular episode. It'll have the link for the gas and and diesel article. It will have the link for this one that she just mentioned about how do you transition to full-timing, as well as other links to other articles that we find uh, interesting that we just don't have time to talk about. I'm surprised there were 47 minutes already, and... Tonight, heard, is, is too much ranting? Yes. It links to the cameras? Too much ranting. Well, we'll see what, what people say. You'll get the emails. You'll know how people feel about it. So do millennials camp different? Well, they don't have any money. They don't have any money. <laughs> it's the rare millennial, unless he's doing a internet startup or something, that can afford a motorhome out of the box. Well, because they're young. Yeah. So, so of course they camp differently. So me. if you're a millennial, you'll want to read this article about millennials and how they camp. We're always in awe of millennials because they have a whole totally different mindset than we do. Their own culture. Their own culture, right. So we will leave that up to you. And uh, this is an article from the USA Today, which talks about small campers and how they fit into the millennial lifestyle. And then, do you have to jump your car? I hope not. (laughs) Do you know how to do it if you did? Oh, I'm always afraid I'm going to blow it up. Because? Because you have to put the positive to the positive and the negative to the negative. This machine will automatically sense the mistake. Oh, it'll warm me? So... Will it it defibrillate my heart, too? We need a defibrillator. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What do I attach to that? (laughs) The The leads? 
We have always had this emergency battery pack that you carry in the back of the car. That's kind of a big, giant thing. It's a big, you know, lead-acid battery, and it uh, is there in case you leave the lights on and your battery goes dead or whatever the situation is in your battery. It's heavy, and it's always in the way. we go to a fairly large number of -of out-of-the-way places, and you never know when you're going to need it. When you need a jump. But, of course, that battery pack, sometimes it has a pump on it to pump up your tires and things like Mm -hmm. that. It'll run off it. But... There are new ones that are actually very small, and this one works as a regular USB charger when it's not being... For your phone or whatever? For your, your mm-hmm. phone. You mm-hmm. know, so it has a USB jack on it, and then it has a separate little pouch where it has the jumper cables. The thing is only like six, four by six wow. by one inch. You can almost put that in your purse. So, And I've read several articles about these, and... Even though they are very small, they have special circuitry that that will jump your car three or four times in case it needs it needs to be started. And the batteries did. How can you hold so much power in a little space like that? You got me. Is it going to be like those cigarette lighters that blow up in people's pockets? Oh, well, I'm sure it uses a lithium-ion battery. But basically, this looks like a a standard uh, USB accessory battery for charging your phone and stuff Mm. and that's what it can be used for it's got the little display there and this one happens to be by cobra and it does cost a 100 bucks or so but it has multiple uses and you could just put this in your in your glove compartment and if your car needs a start or your your phone needs a charge just plug it in and away you go cool or it jumps your phone and the phone burns up i don't know what happens we don't own this no, but I think we're going to in the near future. Mm. And how about something that I've always wanted, and that is a truly portable grill. You don't grill very much. Because it's inconvenient. Is that why? But this one is one that, for those people who own a small RV, this is a small portable grill that actually folds up and fits in a case, and so it would be clean. And it looks like it has legs. I mean, do you need yeah. a table, a picnic table to use it, or is it well, tall? You could set it on the ground, probably. Uh-huh. You're going to have to look at the link and look at the picture. But unlike other grills, this one actually folds up in what it looks like as about a three-inch deep space so that it'll actually fit in. Because other grills, you know, you've got the big container that holds the coals and stuff. This has that all. Is this a charcoal grill? I believe so. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they're always so dirty. Then you end up with all that meat gook and stuff to put back in your This RV. has a case. Mm-hmm. Put all that meat gook in there. Mm-hmm. Let it fester by itself. <laughs> We're going to put a link up to a funny quiz. Um, We go to RV shows a lot, as you know, and I try to keep track of the RVs that impress me or that um, are noteworthy in some way, and I have a devil of a time remembering their names because there are so darn many of them, and some of them have... Uh, names that don't really say RV to me at all. And someone has compiled uh, a 20-question quiz with potential names of RVs. So which ones of these are not names of RVs? Real RVs. Real RVs. Columbus. I don't remember what the answers are. Cougar. Majestic. Travel Star. Blackwater. That one doesn't make sense. I don't know what the answers are. It's on there. But not here, it isn't. No, you have to look at the link. Avalanche. Hitchhiker, yes. Thunderbolt, probably. Slumber Queen. Carpe diem. <laughs> the Carpe diem. That means seize the day. I mean, it's it's proper fault. That's the name of an RV? Well, that's the question, The Escape, isn't it? the Recliner, the Brave. Oh, that's the, one of the original Winnebago's. Winnebago's, yeah. The Imagine. 
Ridge. So I think all Solitude. There are twenty names, and if I remember right, only three of them are fake names. But when you look at the list, three. you think, "Oh my gosh, yeah." The Channel Surfer. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> the Carpe Diem. I don't think that's one either. Anyway, so next month we will let you know how we did on this quiz. No, we just put up the link with the answers. That's easier. Oh, okay. So you have to go and look. We also wanted to mention the. Uh, we talk about electric cars and self-driving cars and all that sort of stuff. Tesla has a semi-RV camper, a concept camper, and the picture is, looks like a Super B. A futuristic kind Futuristic of thing. thing, but if it's a Tesla, it must be run on electricity, which would be way cool. As we travel down the road using tons of diesel, it would be nice to have an all-electric. It would. The Overnight Stops Project. Did we talk about that before? No. Oh. So... Once again, RVTravel.com is trying to promote the idea of having along expressways, having overnight camping spots that you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for. Just to stop. One of the things that really, yeah, one of the things that really annoys us is that you pull into a campground like a KOA. You know, you pull in at four or five o'clock in the afternoon, and you're going to leave at eight in the morning, and you have to pay for the pool and all the kids' stuff and the bouncing bag. The bouncing bag, and you know, you're paying for all these uh, campground facilities that you don't really need. All I want, or when I pull off the ro- or use that I would pull off the road, and that's all. Uh, I just need a place to plug in and to park for the evening. And he's trying to get started. Uh, with industry leaders, the idea that there needs to be along the expressways campgrounds that uh, just provide a place to park, and it would be cost-effective. You wouldn't have to have a lot of staff. You wouldn't have to have, you know, it would be no extra facilities, maybe not even bathhouses, but probably you'd have to have some sort of bathhouses. But What comes to my mind is the campgrounds we found on the Ohio Turnpike that are affiliated uh, with rest stops. So you pay your fee for your electricity and water, I think, yeah. to whoever is working in the store and the, no, the rest stop. No, they had a little dis- uh, well, a kiosk. You, oh, yeah, with an envelope. Yeah. And you could use the bathrooms of the rest stop if you, uh-huh. if you needed a bathroom. And they were affordable and twenty bucks. so easy on and off. You're already on the turnpike. It's certainly not a place where you would want to no, have, that's a a va- good example. have a vacation, but it, we were very grateful to use them. And that's the only place I can think of that we've seen. That's a good example, and that's the kind of thing it would be nice to have. But they were just a place to overnight. To overnight, right? And that's all we really wanted to do. And in many cases, when we're when you're on the road, that's RVers just want that. They just want a place on the road. And generally, rest areas are posted that they don't want you to stay overnight. So this is kind of a special thing. And it's something that's definitely needed. So we'd like to promote that project. So if you go to rvtravel.com, you'll find uh, more information about uh, how you can help with this project and and maybe provide some support for this. So have we talked enough? I guess so. Another month, and we will be on the road. So we can now legitimately say, if you're in a campground near us, stop over and say hi. And we are looking forward to being on the road again and meeting all of you. Oh, yes, because we will be on the road now between now and May. We will, of course, be in Florida for some of that time, and we will be traveling overseas a little bit on that time. But many nights we will be in the RV, so come and say hi. We are the RV Navigators signing off for, this is September. September. Anyway, we're signing off for this month. We're signing off for now. (laughs) Signing off for now. Talk to you later. Happy travels.